0: and flourish in a world facing different crises.
1: Hi, this is Helen Lee. Welcome to Transform and Thrive. I have here a super, super special guest, Dr. John Gray, uh, who really needs no introduction. Most people the world over know him as the author of the all-time favourite relationship book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. And uh, USA Today even listed his book as one of the top 10 most influential books of the last quarter century. In hardcover, it was the number one best-selling book of the 1990s, translated into about 45 languages in more than 100 countries. Isn't that amazing? Dr. Gray's book continues to be a bestseller, He has written more than 20 books in the meantime, and the most recent is Beyond Mars and Venus, relationship skills for a complex modern world. I'm very, very honored to have him here, especially as he's even repeatedly appeared on opera, The Dr. Oz Show, CBS This Morning, Good Morning America, and many other programs. He was also featured in Time, forbes usa today and people and was on the three-hour special hosted by barbara walters wow john you, you must have heard this you've had several interviews you must have heard this yes, read yes. several yes. times today it's I, I thought you were going to say it's
0: john gray he wrote minute from mars he needs no uh, uh, he needs no action and <laughs> stop there <Right. laughs>
1: no, but but it's such, not. i don't even usually read this out for anyone uh, You know, but yours is so special. I'm obliged to read it out. (laughs) Thank
0: thank you so much. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Um, I also uh, did a little bit of research before this interview. And I understand that your Christian parents taught you yoga and took you to visit um, Paramahansa Yogananda when you were a kid. Was this in the 60s? 50s. It was
0: 50s. They drove across America from Texas to uh, California uh, to his ashram to have me be blessed as a baby. And uh, they just loved Yogananda. It was one of the first books I read about spirituality other than Christianity. And it really was so exciting for me. I was very, very uh, grateful for that man.
1: Amazing. I mean, because he's one of the, the you know, major spiritual gurus you know and he's quite he's really very special himself very special very special so so it makes you special too because I think as a child you know receiving that kind of uh, input you you would have a role also to play and I think you have played it right mm. yes
0: uh, yes uh, it definitely opened me up to many truths in the world and very appreciative of the different systems including my own Christian religion, but the also Hindu religion, the Buddhist religion, the Muslim religion. I studied Muslim religion when I was in Egypt. I traveled the world, and I want to know what people think is good and, and find my own truth that resonates or doesn't resonate.
1: And what is your truth today?
0: Well, the world is going in the wrong direction. That's mm-hmm. very clear.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You always know your thinking is in the wrong direction when you're suffering. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Helen, as a great healer that you are, you're talking about being an empath and learning how to feel what other people feel without taking it in. And so many women are naturally this way, and they're much more uh, affected by the world than many men. But men can be empaths too. I'm an empath as well. And I had to learn not to absorb other people's negativity. By feeling empathy. And I just like to make this distinction and that when you feel empathy for someone, there's two ways to feel it. One is feeling sorry for them.
1: Mm.
0: And another is not feeling sorry for them. Mm. Mm. I cannot feel people sorry for people's pain. I, I validate pain. I understand I've had so much pain in my life. I can relate to other people's pain. But I don't feel sorry for them because I know in my own life, my growth has always come from my pain. You see, whenever you're in pain, anybody's in pain, their thinking is in the wrong direction. And what's going on in the world is the thinking is in the wrong direction. So people are experiencing more pain and more uh, addiction to avoid their pain. So what we have is a society of addiction, either addicted to pleasurable things, stimulating things, or what many women don't understand. They're highly vulnerable to being addicted to complaining. If you complain a lot, you look at an MRI scan where you can see brain activity and you'll see almost the same activity as if they were taking cocaine. Negativity is addictive. And our brain is designed to see negativity, but also to be optimistic at the same time. You have to use both the left and right hemispheres of the brain simultaneously to be in reality. The world is filled with problems. So there's negativity and darkness at the same time to see the light and to see how to solve those problems. And, you know, I love your, your title of your show, which is transform and thrive. Um, Part of what was missing a long time ago, for example, in Christianity is when Jesus spoke, he said, I talk to you in stories, parables, because you cannot understand the truth. People just were not yet able to be logical enough to understand salvation, freedom, love, and all these things. You need logic. And the logic is, if you're upset about something, why? It's your thinking. It's what you're thinking about the situation. We talk ourselves into our suffering. And as an empath, since you are an empath, and I just want to, many of your people listen to you and you're helping them as well, is what you're thinking when you absorb someone's stress is to a certain extent, you're feeling sorry for them and you want to help them. Now I feel, I feel empathy for people and want to help them. I never feel sorry for them. I had to learn. Yeah. I'm not, I don't take on their problems. You know, don't feel, when you feel sorry for someone, you're taking in their suffering and relieving, they'll feel better. Some people, some people will feel like, no, don't feel sorry for me because they don't want that. That just makes them more of a victim, but we have to learn how to validate our feelings. That means what is the feeling inside? Look for it. If you're not, if you're stressed, you're unhappy, or you have an addiction or you're on, you, you feel someone is keeping you from being happy. Something is keeping you from being happy. That's the thinking of a monkey, which is that my happiness comes when I get what I want. And when I don't get what I want, I'm unhappy. Now in, in you know, in child development, we know some children are born with the ability to delay gratification. Other children just must have it now. And that ability to want something and be patient, and still be happy even without getting what you want, but being on the way to getting what you want, that's true happiness. Not depending on getting things to be happy. That's short term. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, make my Amazon package come (laughs) for the first first few months of it during the COVID time. Oh, I got a present. Oh, I got a present. Yes, not so happy anymore. You know, this is fulfillment of desire is always temporary. But the journey of of having a desire, the process of getting what you want uh, without doubting yourself and doubting the process or demanding that you have that thing right now or otherwise you can't be happy. That's something we have control over. I can't control the outer world and I can't change other people. I can give them my information that I've changed me, but and I'm not attached to that either. If I'm attached to that, that's an outcome of attachment. And in Buddhism, you know, don't be, it's not that you don't give up desire, it's misinterpreted quite often, it's give up your attachment to what you want, you know, desire is the the journey of life, you know, it motivates us. You know, when I was a monk, my desire was to know God, my desire was to be a good person, to be the best I can be as a loving person, as a spiritual person, and that's a good desire. And once I achieved that, I found my my spirit, my soul, then my desire was to bring love into the world. Hold on, you were a monk? I was a celibate monk when I was with the Maharishi of Transcendental Meditation. I found my guru, like Yogananda, one of the other most influential gurus on the planet, was after Yogananda, Maharishi came and introduced the whole idea of meditation. It's easy, people can do that. And we had... Oh, I was his personal assistant. I taught his teacher training program to teach thousands of, of TM teachers, and it's a simple technique that wow. helped dramatically affect people in a positive way. And he was the one who it was right around that time where they're doing brain research. So we did the first brain research on how your brain can change states through even in five minutes, ten minutes in a meditation. And then then I excelled. I was his best student. He had posters of me that had my brain function. I would meditate. I could meditate for 10 hours effortlessly. Most, most when I went into retreat, I would meditate 10 to 10 to 18 hours. Um, Even still, I do that from time to time. I just did something in in Taoism. I'm also a student of Taoism. I do uh, bigu. I just did uh, this year. I do something big every year. This year I did the bigu where you go seven days without light talking or food. Just uh, I had a cup of coffee every day and a a water and that was it. No interaction with anybody, just meditating or sleeping. So amazing. When you have a skill, now I've developed a skill. Not everybody can do that. You know, I can't throw a basketball in the hoop every time. You know, we we develop our skills. I'm not a good cook either and I certainly can't sing. So everybody's got their talents. My talent was clearly uh, master my spirituality and bring that out to the world and bringing spirituality into the world one way. Is creating more love
1: now, and so now, seeing- I, now I really understand why I enjoyed listening to you know all the, the your videos and interviews because I found it really substantial and you've what you've managed to do is take all that foundational wisdom and translate it you know with in a way that can reach you know the masses right like yeah. you've injected the science and the practicality of it to the Everyday person, you know. So that's my goal. That's
0: my goal. Uh, Salute to you. So. Thank you. I know you do. I appreciate that so much. You know, we're, we're I, somebody interviewed me the other day, and they asked me, "What is it to be human?" And so, what popped out is, "To be human is to make mistakes. To be divine is to learn from those mistakes. Mm-hmm. And to be animal is to blame others for your mistakes." <laughs> So, and we're all human, we make mistakes, okay? But we have to look at those mistakes, forgive ourselves, forgive others, and take responsibility to grow from them. And and not only from mistakes, but to to be human is one of Buddha's teaching is to suffer. And and then to recognize the first noble truth was life is suffering. Then the second one is learning the cause of our suffering, which is clearly our behaviors and our thinking. Not other people, it's what we do to ourselves. That's the the cause of our thinking. When you're blaming other people for your suffering, you're not recognizing the true cause of your suffering. It's what you bring to the table that makes you feel good or makes you feel bad. It's you. So that's sort of growing up to understanding the cause of suffering. And when you understand that, then you can learn the third noble truth was the relief of suffering and the relief from suffering comes when you turn your suffering into pain Because when you see suffering is enduring, what we do when we suffer is we resist it and resist it. But when you realize that you're in charge of your suffering, it's your thinking, then you can feel, oh, it's just my pain. I can when suffering, when we suffer, we're constantly resisting it. But if I'm recognizing I'm doing it to myself, then I can change. So if I can change the cause from you to me, then I can let it go. And that's the release. And then once you, that's fourth, noble thing is you can sustain freedom from suffering. And to a great extent, I never suffer. I feel pain a lot. Uh, I can think about my wife died four years ago. For about two years, I felt totally broken and and wanted to die, you know, went into human pain, you know, I'm human and never, that was the biggest challenge but see, I'm pretty expert at death. my brother committed suicide. My dear brother, um, my father was murdered, found in the dead of his trunk, you know, all these terrible things. My mother died by an accident uh, in, in the medical system, you know, so uh, and car accidents and family members. And, you know, I've been to Bonnie and I used to laugh because every year of our marriage for the first 12 years, we were at a funeral. Her <laughs> <Our> father <laughs> died of a brain aneurysm at 55, you know, his her brother died in a, a car accident this life is filled with suffering and so that but when you learn to feel it and then feel the emotions and the pain then your brain says oh i'm causing that let me change my thinking and it will automatically do it if you have wisdom so we grow in wisdom each time but even that my wife dying of cancer watching her go from a vibrant woman at 68 years old and having her body just shrink down in 9 months it was so traumatic for me and it's taken me years, but I'm, I'm over it majorly. Uh, but I'm grateful that I have the ability to heal that wound, that the loss, see a loss of, of, you know, we were gonna grow old together. We have a beautiful life. We have poor grandchildren, you know, we're at that time of life it, and I was still very successful. So everything was going for us and then boom, some kind of genetic thing she had. And then misdiagnosis of doctors said, mistreatment of doctors, in my opinion, and, you know, but I watched it, we loved each other through it, and we grew emotionally, no doubt about it. And then afterwards, because I have the emotional intelligence, what I write about in my book, how to process emotions, so very, very important. And also for an empath, that they will take on without knowing the emotion, the painful emotions of others, and as if their own. And so what they have to do is realize that those emotions that they picked up even though they're an empath, they wouldn't have picked it up if it wasn't something from one of your parents, when you were growing up, Mm. that we picked up from our parents. That's where we learned to pick it up. not, Not all children are born being able to pick it up as much, but anything that goes on inside of me, I can easily go. And this is years of processing. So it rarely happens for me, but it's always some childhood trauma that causes me to react now in a negative way, even for a few minutes, it's something in my past and and then when you think, okay, what's that related to my past? If you can't find it, it's always inside of your mother or your father. We carry the sins of our parents, so to speak. The old saying, the American Indians say, you know, you, you carry the, this, the suffering of your parents for nine generations. Uh, and now we have science saying that for seven generations, your DNA that you pick up as a child will stay. So let's say you're traumatic... And they only do this with animals because they can see a whole lifetime, but uh, they do like little birds, for example, and they traumatize a, a little bird so that like a man with a brown hat traumatizes the bird. Okay, that's done. And then that little bird grows up and becomes an adult and has little babies. They take those little babies and they have a man come in with food with a brown hat and they run away. They cry out. So the, the, the trauma and the DNA of the mother goes into the child for seven generations. So you come in with food, you're completely positive. The child never had a negative experience of a Brown hat. They're still going to react with fear. And yeah. that's, yeah. it takes generations to heal. Yeah. So that's inevitable. We all come from trauma. There's no question about it. You know, what was normal, even if you came from what was normal in the past, it would be traumatic today because we have so much more wisdom we deserve so much more we know that you know if you beat somebody down who who already feels like they're not good enough they accept it you know some people want to be punished i was so bad you should punish me you know the uh, a simple example of that is i grew up in houston texas and texas was pretty much like the rest of the country just maybe a little bit more tough and six boys and we were unruly mom's going to say i'm going to tell your dad and and we would stop because if if we didn't stop are we did something to bother her, not cooperative, not supportive. I want to tell your father and father would come home. He'd say, bend over and take out a whip, his belt. And you yeah. would get whipped. And that was, uh, that was normal. Then they still do it in the schools in Texas. It's crazy, but accept it as normal today. We don't do that. Our wisdom says that's not good for children. So you shouldn't do that yet. Then you have to find a new way to do it. And what a lot of parents do is they just spoil their kids. You know, when child's crying, I want more ice cream you should listen to me Is punish them for whining and crying. Or you say, I, I want more ice cream. Well, you can't have ice cream, it's not good for you. And then the child cries. And then, and, and then the parent says, okay, I'll give you ice cream. So you see, children have to learn that when they're emotionally upset, it's because they're not getting what they want and they want it now. And what frees them from the attachment to I have to have it now is to be able to talk about the emotions. So if a child can talk about their emotions and a parent knows how to process their emotions, like if my daughter wants ice cream when she's a little kid, we had ice cream, but not every day. She sees other kids with ice cream. She goes, why don't I get it? And cries. And I say, I understand you're angry about this. You're not getting ice cream. And they go, yeah. And then I say, and I'm not giving you ice cream. What? And then they feel so, they cry some more. And I say, oh, you're so disappointed. I know you feel sad, don't you? And she's, yes, daddy, I feel so sad. And then I say, I understand that. But, you know, we're having a party this weekend. We can have ice cream then. No, 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 I'll never have ice cream. I said, I know you're afraid. You're scared that you're never going to have ice cream again. She goes, yes, I'll never get ice cream again. See, children live in a different world. The emotions live in the world. If I can't have it now, I'll never have it. Anytime somebody's angry, they're always disappointed and sad. Anytime somebody's disappointed and sad, they're always afraid it's not going to get better. And that's the reality. That's called emotional intelligence is to know whatever you're feeling, there's other feelings inside as well. And when you can become conscious of your reactions to things and where they're coming from. And for a child, they just know that these they have to first identify the emotions and then have a parent give them comforting advice. Because if you say, no, you know, when she was angry, I said, oh, we'll have it this weekend. She'd go right into, no, 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 we won't. Yes, you will. Yes, you should listen to me. No, you just let them There's a venting process, a clarification. And parents don't know how to do this. I don't want any parents to feel bad about this. I teach parents how to do this in my book, Children from Heaven. But you can't really do it for your children until you can do it for yourself. Because anytime you're upset in life, you're a child. You're a little monkey, basically. And you need to parent yourself. We need to give ourselves what we didn't get in our childhood. And then when you really go, go ahead, go ahead.
1: Do you think as a human race, what we need to do is actually grow up? Right? Absolutely, we're
0: all a bunch of children. War is just a bunch of children and a bunch of people making money off of war. Yeah. Uh, I'm not gonna get into politics, it separates, but it basically all hostility in a man is female hormones. Most people don't realize that. Uh, Basically, we have a male and a female side. And when the male feels weak, the female side increases. Translate that into biology. When men's testosterone levels go down because they don't have confidence. See, when you have confidence, then your estrogen levels can rise to a healthy level and you can be compassionate and supportive and problem solving. Let's solve this problem with caring and win-win and, and warmth and wisdom. That's when you have kind of balanced masculine female energies inside of you. And today children are born with more masculine feminine energy. I think there's been an evolutionary shift as you, you, I'm sure you're feeling in your meditations. They're just so powerful and so profound now. Uh, the consciousness of the planet has elevated. And what that means in terms of elevated consciousness is that women can feel more of their masculine power and men can feel more of their feminine power. They can be more loving, like in the 60s when it all kind of started, at least in my life. After World War II, everybody felt safe. It was supposed to be the war to end all wars. And so uh, basically women felt safe. And then they realized, I want more than just being the standard housewife. I want to be free, particularly... That movement started when women felt abused in relationships. Now abuse has always been there in relationships, but a tiny part of it, a very small percent as there have been abuse in relationships. But when we kind of outgrew that, women felt like, you know, I want more freedom, then men would push against that. That's where the abuse started coming is we couldn't handle the change. And then as women say, well, we don't care what men think, we're gonna go out there because the safety of ending that war created safety for women to be on both sides. And in America, which sort of led the way with that, uh, it was during the war, Women, the men were at war, so the women went into the jobs and the powers that be said, oh, well, we can get women working too here. <laughs> and the women were like, yeah, I want to get out of this marriage because I make my own money and not depend on a man. So that was progress. But as women go to their male side, which is wonderful, and feel more independent, not so dependent on men, their female energy weakens. Mm-hmm. yeah see what we have is a crisis of women overeating for example well, when you overeat you make female hormones anytime you depend on something to make you happy you're making female hormones whenever you're depending on yourself to make you happy or to survive or to get by you're making male hormones men on the men need 10 times more male hormones to be happy otherwise they're irritable passive angry irritable you know this is Uh, the male challenge is feeling successful and confident, needed and trusted. We used to be the heroes, you know, and that would create functionality in a relationship because women needed us. They don't need us so much anymore. So that keeps her from being in touch with her femininity. So, but what I teach now and beyond Mars and Venus, and even in Men Are From Mars, the ideas were there, but they've grown more is when women are unhappy, most of the time now in modern day, They're unhappy because they're too far on their male side. Mm -hmm. Their hormones are out of balance. They need to come back to their female side. So if your hormones are out of balance, then you produce a stress hormone. When you produce a stress hormone, you have no control over your thoughts. You can't can't transform and thrive, as you say, in your talks. You have to lower the stress level first. Mm -hmm. What happens Mm -hmm. when your cortisol levels go up is blood flow stops going to both sides of the prefrontal cortex. And most of it goes back into the fight or flight response, fold and fake. So these are these responses that are conditioned into us from millions of years of conditioning, which shows up in childhood, how our parents responded, what our reactions are, what our DNA tells us to do. And this is what we're supposed to do as humans is become aware of the error, the, the, the humanity, the limitation of that conditioning of the past and change it. And that's what helps bring the divine into the world. That's what brings love into the world. So I would say to anybody, if you're not feeling happy and loved, your thinking is off. You need to find out where that thinking is. It's causing you to not be in touch with your true self Hmm. and and practice every day. You know, little things upset me. Here's an example of a little emotional intelligence. Uh, what would be something that's been upsetting me lately? Hard to find in my life, but let me just, um, really what it is, it's when I watch the news, I can, I can be upset because I I see such foolishness, so much pain in people. So Mm -hmm. I feel, Mm -hmm. I feel frustrated and I feel angry that people are fighting right now. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: then I feel so disappointed that my message hasn't gone out and had the effect I wish it could have. I feel disappointed that the thinking and the direction of what we're going into today is not working. I feel disappointed that, you know, here I'm trying to help all these marriages. And yes, I've done it with so many, but it's just a drop in the bucket. When I look at Mm. twice as many people now are not getting married, Mm. because they can't make a marriage work. And, you know, that's my role. That's my goal. So I feel sad. And then I immediately if I feel sad, then I go back to a time in my past, where I was sad, and I felt alone and powerless. And I just go back to that time. And then I look at what am I afraid of? You know, I'm afraid I'm not good enough. I'm afraid I can't make a difference. I'm afraid I'm lost. I don't know what to do. How will I be a man? How will I be successful? Where's my father? You know, kind of feeling those feelings of a little child and then feeling bad about myself. I'm sorry. I'm not good enough. I want to please my parents and whatever. See, those are the, that's the underworld of our emotions. And when you can go in there, you're increasing awareness. You're increasing consciousness of who you are. Instead of just thinking I'm mad about this war, (laughs) that's not all who I am. It's triggers. If something triggers you and you can't just feel it and let it go, then it's something deeper now. So basically, when I when I looked at the war and everything, I didn't have any personal fears. I'm in America. I feel very safe. It's not going to affect me. The gas prices up. I'm fairly well to do. Uh, that means nothing to me. You know, the people the people that say on the news, they say, oh, it's good that the gas prices are going up, then we'll all go to electric faster. You know, wait, wait a second, you know? And so anyway, I don't wanna get too political here, but for me, gas prices are double, doesn't matter to me at all. So a lot, for a lot of people, they just think this is not a problem. Other people, you know, one of my, one of my friend's daughters, you know, she's pregnant with a child, immediately felt compassion. And then I didn't feel sorry for her, but I felt her pain and thought, how can I help? And so, you know, I said, well, do you have someone helping you in your home? She says, no, I feel so isolated up there and in another country she's in, and she does not have a lot of friends. And, and so she feels very overwhelmed. And I said, well, do you have anybody helping you? She says, no, just my husband, he's gone most of the day. And I said, well, anybody help you clean the house? She's got a new baby. And, and and she says, no, we can't afford it. So I'm, I'm her godfather. I said, okay, I'm sending you a check every month for $160 to have somebody come in and clean your house so you don't have to do everything yourself. And $160 is nothing to me, okay? And to her, she burst into tears. She couldn't believe it. Yes. So when people are more well-to-do, they don't understand that doubling your gas prices and paying twice as much for meat is a huge Huge things for people. But see, they live in their Eiffel Towers. They don't feel the empathy. They can't feel it. And I couldn't fully feel it until she expressed her disappointment and her sadness that she couldn't even keep the house clean. And then boom, once she felt her emotion, then immediately my compassion could come up. And yes, I offered some money. I didn't take responsibility for it. I didn't feel sorry for her. I felt actually kind of happy that she asked me as a godfather. That was about it. (laughs) Well, I can help you with that. So that's where kindness comes in. I was talking to a man the other day and he saw some struggling teen graduates, but for some reason, cause of COVID, they were so unhappy or whatever it was and they were in their graduation outfits. So what he did is he told the waiter, you know, don't tell him it was me, but sign the check. I wanna pay for their meal. And so he hung around, he's eating and they got that message. And suddenly they were just so light, they were so light and happy cause somebody paid for their meal cuz it's more than just paying for the meal. It's feeling I'm not alone. Is that there's a there's an answer out there that I that that I, it's not like I'm totally powerless. There's love. There's people that care about me. Just a little gesture like that. You know, for me, uh, I have a little thing I do that might you probably do it already but some people don't and that's you know, I have these digital clocks in my house and when I see a 333 mm-hmm. I look at what am I thinking there and It's literally, my mind is looking for reassurance because I feel like I'm aligned with my purpose. The angels are with me, you know? And so I'll see 11, 11. It's so many times that I go to bed at at, at 10.01 or I'll go to bed 11, uh, 11, and sometimes just 11, zero, zero. Those are like favorite numbers for me is ones. And particularly when it's 11.01, I know I'm gonna have a really good night's sleep because it builds to a three. And the three is my mat- magic numerological number. It means fun. Something very important to me in life is have fun, enjoy my life. I am a bundle of joy almost all the time, unless I'm a bundle of suffering and pain, <laughs> which I do joyfully, basically. I know the darker it gets, the deeper it goes, the more ecstasy I'll feel later. You know, And after my wife's death, I'll just give a little example of that. It's four years now, and it's still there. I go for a walk. And I live in Mill Valley, California, and we have these redwood trees. And I go for the walk through the forest to a little waterfall and the trees are so tall. And I go into a heightened state of ecstasy and meditation. And that's because I feel I can, I'm I'm in touch with the little person inside of me, as well as the big giant tree. I'm both, What an amazing, it's an awe, it's an awful, awe-inspiring moment. And to be able to have that every day it's shocking to me that it can last. It still is going on. I just take it all in and it's just so beautiful. It's a gift from my wife because she was always in awe of nature. She was more of the garden. She's a gardener and she loved trees. And now it's like her power came into me. I just love trees. You know, not everybody's going to love trees but they love their heart. But for me, the humility and the joy and the happiness of being little as well as being big at the same time, mm-hmm. being grounded, And solid. And I can be very serious in terms of empathy and compassion and the suffering of the world and also be light at the same time, knowing that everything's in it's all the divine plan. We see the world going in the wrong direction. And thank goodness we know when people go in the wrong direction, they suffer. And eventually, after they stop looking at all the blame, they're forced to look at what's my thinking, particularly, we have so many wonderful teachers in the world now, sharing a little bit of light, showing how to think differently, how we can think differently. And when it comes, I know my mission and purpose is to understand the biggest problem in the world. And from my perspective, there's so many, right? But my perspective is mother and father are not loving each other. You see, when the mother and father are not loving each other, children cannot love themselves. Children who cannot love themselves, cannot access the divine plan. They can't access who they're here. They're confused about who they are. And so they're easily offended by things. So now we have this culture that's offended by everything. And they have a right to say things can be better, but not to be offended and angry about it and sad about it and unhappy about it. That doesn't do anything except perpetuate problems. It's an awareness with love that we can make this better. How can we make this better? If there's something inside of you that's mad or hateful, judgmental and critical, you're only creating the problem. You're not a solution to the problem.
1: Don't you think we need um, even more than emotional intelligence, that we need spiritual intelligence?
0: Yes, we need spiritual intelligence. We need gender intelligence. And gender intelligence creates the fastest solutions because we're so gender confused. Okay? (laughs) We have to know how a man and a woman is different from each other. A lot of people, they're teaching over and over, we're the same, we're the same. No, the world is filled with diversity. Diversity means respecting differences. It's only by respecting differences that we can be inclusive. I'm all for inclusive, but not an inclusiveness that says everybody has to think and feel the same. Mm -hmm. That's not it. Mm -hmm. So there's there's the gender intelligence in my books. People change overnight many times with my books because it's just a correction of, Oh, I didn't realize what was most important to her. And she goes, Oh, I didn't realize I thought I was doing something to make him feel better. And actually it makes him feel worse. I misunderstood his behavior. He's just in his cave. It's not that he's mad at me, or it's not that he's not going to come out of the cave. And how do I get him out of the cave? I don't know how to do that. If if you're angry with him for being in his cave, he'll stay in his cave forever. If you go out and be happy, and then say, Oh, you're back out of your cave, he's going to come out of the cave more often so we can recondition each other. If my wife has a lot of complaints about me, if I just don't argue with her about it and just validate her complaint, the way you do that wow. is not try to solve it even, not tell her what you're misunderstanding me, or that's a, that's often what women now say is mansplaining. Okay, He's explaining why you're getting upset over nothing. Even if she's getting upset over nothing, I will not say that. What I'll say is help me understand that better. And then I'll do validation but I, can, I can't validate her, her thinking at that time. If she thinks I don't love her, I can't say, well, you're right about that, I don't love you. <laughs> but I can do, I say, I know when I said that, you must've felt really hurt, you must've felt really sad, you must've been disappointed, you must've been worried, you must be concerned, you must get angry at me. I can validate any emotion. And when I'm doing that, I'm going, I'm helping them to experience, it's within them, and then what happens when you validate an emotion, you get connection. What women need more than anything to produce female hormones is to not feel alone, but to feel connection. What men need to feel in order to experience increasing testosterone is disconnection. It's up to me. I've got to do it myself. The pressure to do it myself produces testosterone. Now men don't have that pressure when their wives can make money, you know, and when they make equal money, she doesn't appreciate him for him making money. It mm-hmm. used to be if a woman couldn't make money, oh, when he made money, if you got a guy who could pay the bills for you, it's like, hey, that sounds great. But once you got him paying, making the same amount of money and her making the same amount of money for her, there's no sense of he's doing anything for her because she's also doing it for him. Mm-hmm. So where, what do women need today? Well, when women become independent, there's a you go to a higher level of consciousness. Maslow described that level as you you start out with needing survival, any couple, if they're hungry, just feed them and they'll be happy with you, they'll love you. (laughs) They're hungry, you know, protect a woman from danger. She will to have sex with you. You know, all the soldiers coming back, (laughs) we're like, hey, give them kisses and hugs and whatever later, you know, it stimulates when you actually depend on a man for something and he delivers, you make, uh, you produce a lot of estrogen which makes women very happy and fulfilled if they're low in estrogen. And then at a certain point, when you've got the food and you've got the safety, that then that doesn't do it for her as much. So a new need emerges, the need for freedom emerges, And now women have freedom, but what's the next need that comes up? The need for emotional fulfillment. That's why people, women will say, oh, I want a romantic partner, I want good communication. My mother didn't need any of that. She just needed a husband who wasn't angry all the time and a husband who made good money and would punish the children if they needed to be punished. My God, she had her own policeman. What else do you need? You know, that's at a certain level of life. But once you get to that level, there's no big loving response. It's like not that significant. One comedian said, very funny, he said, you know, I'm so much happier than Bill Gates. <laughs> and said, so, you want to know why? Because if I see a $20 bill and pick it up, I'm happy for a week. Are you kidding? 20 bucks. He sees $20 on the floor. He's not even going to bother picking it up. He doesn't need that. So it's when we have a need, when we feel a need and somebody can deliver for us, that produces the female hormone. Now it's not that I I like people to do things for me, but it produces the female hormone in me. So women that give a lot to men, those men have too much estrogen. They need to give more to her and they need to give more on their own for themselves too. So there's a balance here of whenever you're feeling independent, you're making your testosterone, male hormones primarily, and when you're uh, feeling dependent on someone, you're making female hormones. And nature gave women the perfect balance of male and female hormones. And that's called nurturing. Mm-hmm. Nurturing is where you're giving to somebody, but not to get anything. You give to your children, not for money, but for love. When you can give because you love someone, you're making testosterone and estrogen at the same time. and what happens is, and that's to, that person has to depend on you and need you. So you give, and then because the child looks up to you and gives you unconditional love, so you're getting something you can't get anywhere else. So that gives you the estrogen. So now you can produce a lot of testosterone as well because a mother is like a CEO of a house. It's not like women can't solve problems. This is one problem after another, after another, but they're not doing it as a sacrifice. They're doing it from a place of love because they feel I need love. And that child gives them so much love. But that's only one kind of love. See, we love comes in vitamins, okay? It's like ice cream comes in different flavors. One is a woman needs unconditional love, but she also needs conditional love. It's a healthy kind of conditional love. Often people think about conditional love as well. If you don't do that, I hate you. And okay, I get that, you know, because if I do a job, work world is very conditional. It's like I do this job, but if you don't pay me, I'll smile and just go away. Some people want to fight a war with you. But for me, it's like, oh, you don't pay me. All right. I just won't come back to you. It's very practical. I do a job. I get paid for it. Now, a woman, when she's in, in in a relationship, her love, if she's like that, where I'm giving to you so you should give me back, that's an unhealthy, conditional love. But a healthy conditional love, which is the romantic relationship, uh, the marriage relationship, that's a particular kind of love. For a woman, it looks best and healthy is when she feels you did something for me. So now I want to freely give something to you without expectation of more. For women, they need to feel that they're receiving so much from a man that they can freely give. And for a man, he needs to feel that she's not going to freely give me love. I have to earn it. See, men need to earn it. I need to do something, and then you appreciate it. You're a reactor, a responder. Your love is a reaction and a response. If you just love me for doing nothing, you're loving me like I'm a child. And I won't give you unconditional
1: love. I'll become passive. I'll become feminine. I won't have motivation. That was the amazing Dr. John Gray with a wealth of information and wisdom. In fact, he was extremely generous and gave me one and a half hours of his time and an awesome process at the end of it, all of which you will be able to enjoy in the next episode, episode 21, which will be out next Monday. You must look out for that and share both episodes of this really great interview with your spouse or partner, your friends and family, colleagues and others. There is a great deal of truth and knowledge in both episodes, and do get his most recent book, Beyond Mars and Venus, as well. We need all the help we can get to create and enjoy healthy relationships and for all our interactions with others, both personal and professional. Also, join us in the powerful monthly sessions that I conduct live on Zoom, where I personally coach you and facilitate shifts for you. You'd also be given an amazing key to mastery that I call the Golden Globe to help you sustain these shifts and keep growing. Check out transformandthrive.club transformandthrive.club for more details and join us soon at the end of April. In the meantime, this is Helen Lee on the Transform and Thrive Show. Much love to you. Wishing you endless possibilities of great joy and freedom, peace and abundance at all levels, especially at this time. Happy transforming and thriving. You have the power to do so masterfully and joyously. Thank you for joining me. Your presence is vital and very very much appreciated As always Bye for now